Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Sermons Podcast. At Legacy Church, we help people find their identity in Jesus and their place in His mission to impact the world through the gospel. We ask that you grab your Bibles, listen up, and we hope that you hear a great word from the Lord today. Man, I look around this morning and my heart is full watching, watching the church sing. I was out of town last week and missed you. I was having fun, friends I've had for over 30 years catching up, but I missed you guys. Tried to watch online, but it is not good to watch online on the roads in the middle of Arkansas. So, um, but I'm glad to be back this morning. Mildred, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to see you this morning. I'm glad you were able to be in person. And Pastor, I'm enjoying, man, I'm watching you grow in Christ, and it makes my heart so full to watch you this morning. So church, I'm, I'm so blessed to be with you today. I, I was thinking about this this week. How many of you at some point in your life, got caught up in a viral sensation, a viral trend of some sort. And some of you, probably most of us have, and some of you are jumping ahead to like TikTok dances. I won't do any of those, not now or ever, uh, or challenges of some sort. But think back a little bit. Remember, remember chain letters? You remember receiving a chain letter in the mail? Or maybe like if you're my age, around my age, you'd get them in school. Somebody would fold up a note and pass it to you and you'd open it up. And it said, read this to the end or else you will die. <laughs> right? And it said, pass this on to five friends or some awful thing is going to happen to you. And you knew better. You knew you weren't going to die. Something in you was like, but would I die? <laughs> but you knew you wouldn't. But you kind of were interested and curious, and so you kind of dove in. You read the thing to the end. You said, yeah, I'll pass it on to somebody. Maybe not five people, maybe four people. But I'm going to pass it on and be a part of the thing that's moving. That's what makes something viral. It's when we go, I'm going to jump in and participate in it. And things rolled ahead, and we got YouTube. You know, I don't know if we are thanking God for YouTube or not. Um, but remember Charlie Bit My Finger? One of the first viral videos that went crazy, and, and David after the dentist when he's on all the drugs and he's slurring his words, and it's who got Rickrolled. Did anybody get Rickrolled at some point? And these viral things, they come and they go. Social media happened, and then we got to the dances and the challenges. We did find some ways to make viral go good. Uh, anyone have a bucket of ice water dumped on your head? Part of the ALS challenge, raising money for ALS awareness, Right. All of these things, I was thinking about how quickly they show up on the scene, they spread, they explode, they go everywhere, they go viral is what we call them, and then as quickly as they spread, they, they die, they're gone and replaced with something else. And I was thinking about it because when I am reading, as we have been over Acts 1 and 2 about the beginnings of the church, in every way, it was a viral movement that took place. It just exploded onto the scene and it spread very, very quickly, unlike the social trends, which spread quickly and then died quickly and were replaced. It's something that is, it's like the viral sensation that began and never ended. It continues today. The, the things that we hold dear, the things we profess, the things we practice, the things that we espouse and we build our, our life upon are the same things that these people in, in Acts, the earliest church, did. Who we are today is the same as who they were then in Christ. And so the church, as we look at it, it began in today's terms as a, a viral sensation that exploded onto the scene, it exploded into life, and it just spread so quickly. And it caused a lot of people then and throughout history to really be kind of perplexed and puzzled about why it spread so fast and so far around the world and why it has sustained 
You think about the beginnings of the church, and there really weren't that many people there at the beginning. In Acts 1.15, it says that there were 120 people gathered before the day of Pentecost happened. 120. It wasn't a massive movement. It was a small movement of people at its inception, and they weren't like the powerful, influential people of their day. You had a bunch of fishermen and carpenters and blue-collar types, just normal people. They, they didn't coerce anyone into faith. It's be, at its beginnings, Christianity wasn't something that was forced upon people. The disciples weren't putting people in headlocks and saying, you belong to Jesus or else. didn't happen like that. And if you consider this, so much today of, of the movement in America over the last few decades is built upon, if you will just put your faith here, just get, guess what you're going to get in return. There's some great blessing for you if you will do this, but it's always rooted in some kind of some temporary human thing. It, it's a prosperity gospel, but the beginnings of the church had no promise of wealth if you would come to be a part of the church. In fact, Luke 6, Jesus says, I want you all to be generous, to give and give without expecting anything in return. And he would talk about that quite a bit with his followers. He would say you should store up treasures in heaven and not put your mind focused on building, accumulating uh, temporary wealth. And so there was no promise of riches and wealth if you would come to Jesus and be a part of the church. And yet, in spite of all those things, I mean, it's a thing that just from one moment was just a few people and then boom, it went everywhere and it kept going everywhere and spreading and, and something that, that we continue to be puzzled about is why did it happen in that way? And the thing that we're seeing in Acts is that there are a couple of things that are taking place in the earliest days of the church that led to the explosive growth of the church. The first is the very real presence and power of God was among his people. And it was unmistakable and undeniable. The presence of God was among them. And second, he was leading the people who loved Jesus to live their lives in a way and to speak with their lips in a way about Jesus that was undeniable where these people's loyalty lied. The Holy Spirit came and the people of Jesus spoke about Jesus again and again and again. And I want you to see this as we're going to dive back into this series. I want you to understand that this series has not been prescriptive, but it's been descriptive. You see the difference between those two things. We talk about that on our staff a lot. We go, oh, I've got an idea. Is this prescriptive or descriptive? Are you telling me what to do or just something that could happen or did happen? And in this series, in this sermon, and in the book of Acts, for that matter, it's not a how-to book. It's not a how-to sermon, but it's how it did happen. What was it like? That's what Luke's style is. That's what his assignment is. I'm writing you the details. I'm laying out the evidence so you can see what took place at the beginnings of the church. And when we come to it and read it, when we read about the story of the church, what mostly can be learned by us is what happens when God himself comes and moves among a people. What can you and I expect when the Holy Spirit makes his presence unmistakably and undeniably known among his people and moves powerfully in a life, in a family, in a church, and in a generation? What happens when revival and awakening begins to take place? How can people be swept into that and be a, a part of it in a very real way? And what kind of people do people become when God moves among his people like we read about here in the earliest days of the church? And when we read it today, this is my sincere hope. I'm afraid that, that I've seen just this, like, this massive uh, case of a different kind of a virus. It's called 21st century Christian boredom. 
And, and I, I think that a lot of people have caught it, especially in America. 21st century Christian boredom. We're bored because we haven't seen a movement of God. We believed with our heads. We felt something in our hearts. But, but in terms of a massive movement of God, I mean, I don't, I don't know. That has happened some places and sometimes, but we're not believing that it can happen in these places and in these times. And so when we read this, my sincere desire is that it would awaken in us a desire to see God move like this in our day, that there would be a stirring in our heart, there would be a holy expectation that would grow, that we would have an appetite and a hunger that would grow up from within us, that we would eagerly desire to see God move in our day among our community like he did in this day. And maybe the complacency that we have settled into might wash away and we might be awoken a little bit. We might be shaken a little bit in the cultural Christianity that we've clothed ourselves in and dressed ourselves in and presented ourselves with, that it would fall away. And we would read this and we would say, this is the real thing, man. This is what the real thing looks like. And I would love to be a part of something like this. I want to see it in my day. And we deeply need a movement of God in our lives and among our people, the people of God, so that we can face the challenges of culture and the the, the spiritual challenges that are coming at us today. I'm, I'm bored and I'm stuck and I feel like I'm not going anywhere. I need the movement of God in my life to go through the stuff that's coming at us. And I'm eager for it. Are you, is there anything in you at all that is eager to see God move in your life? Is there... Is there any appetite in you that hungers to see the impossible happen in your day? Things that you would not believe even if you were told. Open your Bible to the book of Acts. We'll be right back at the beginning where we've been. We've been in chapter 1 and 2, and I'm going to be all over chapters 1 and 2 again today. We're going to learn from this viral movement. Really, it's a movement that's never stopped. You think about this. Throughout history, there have been great awakenings. The first, the second, the third great awakening. There, there, there was the, the, in America, the revivals of the 40s and the 50s. There was the Jesus people of the 70s. There's what's happening in China over the last couple of decades where, where the gospel is just moving in places that it's never been. People's lives are being turned over. People who walked in darkness are finding light. People who were in depression are finding freedom and joy. People who had no hope hope now have the peace of God within them. And it's like wildfire across China right now. And every time that these things have happened throughout history, it's not that a new thing is happening. It's that a very old thing is having a resurgence. There's a surge of an ancient thing that happened in Jerusalem 50 days after Jesus resurrected, 10 days after Jesus ascended. And we'll look at today a lot of of chapter 1 and chapter two, but what I want you to to focus on is not five steps for how to get the power of God in your life. That's not what I'm talking about. I want you to look at this and see how it happened, to imagine what it was like for people to be a part of this kind of experience. What was God doing? What were the conditions like in these days? How did people join into the movement of God in their day and find that there is an invitation for us laced within it? There's a question An invitation that's a question. Have I truly been swept up into a movement of God? Or have I just put on the clothes of a culture or a genre of life that was popular for a season in our country? Have I been swept into a movement of God? Is he doing something? Is he desiring to do something in my life? And am I going to see something like this happen in my day? Start in chapter 1. Look at verse 4. Jesus has 
been crucified, he's resurrected, he's, he's gathered his disciples, his followers together. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait. Somebody say, wait. Wait here, for the Father has promised something, which he said, you heard from me. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What are they waiting on? The Holy Spirit to come. Verse 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. He says, don't go and start doing anything yet. There are some disciples who would always rush ahead and start doing things. Jesus says, this isn't about what you are going to do for me. This is about what I'm going to do through you. So just sit there and wait for a moment until the Holy Spirit, who is God, comes upon you. And so they're here. They're waiting. Acts 1.15 says there's about 120 of them gathered together. They're waiting. They're praying. And on the day of Pentecost, Patrick preached about this last week, the Holy Spirit came and fell upon them. And he's poured out, and in every way, this is not a natural thing. This is not an ordinary day. This is a supernatural thing because God is doing all of it. It's not a man-made thing. They're not coming up with a game plan. They're waiting on the Lord, and when he comes, supernatural things begin to take place. Chapter 2, verse 4. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. They began to speak in, in known languages that they had never studied. They had never gone to school to learn. They had never grown up with these languages. But suddenly, as they're speaking, it's being heard by people who have gathered from all over the place for the day of harvest. They've traveled to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. And they're walking up, and they're hearing this group of people. And everyone from all of these different nations and communities and languages with dialects are going, I'm hearing them speak in my tongue. This is, this is amazing what's happening here. 2 verse 14, Peter stands up, referencing them to Old Testament prophecy of Joel. He says, let me tell you all about it. This is fulfillment of the promises God said would come in a day. This is the day. Chapter 2 verse 17, he said, and it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth my spirit and they shall prophesy. God does not come choosing a race, a people, a male or a female, an old or a young person to represent him. God loves all people. And he comes and those who will turn to him, he pours his spirit out upon them and they are ready ready and prepared now to speak on behalf of God, to be the representatives of God in this world, to show the world what God is like. In other words, the same Holy Spirit that Joel prophesied would come, he has come. He's here, he's now, and he's on the move. And the unmistakable point that Luke is making right here is that this is not a man-made moment in the history of the church. This was not man's idea. It was not man's creation, his innovation. It was not his feelings or thoughts. It was not man's skill. But before ascending, Jesus says to his disciples, your job is not to do. Your job is just to be my witnesses, to tell. And you're not going to do it on your own. God, the Holy Spirit, the helper is coming, and he will do it through you. And Jesus had spoken to these same followers before about the Holy Spirit. He said, I told you about him before, told them about the Holy Spirit in John 14, verse 12. Jesus said, truly, truly, I'm real serious about this. I say to you, he who believes in me and the works I do, he will do also. 
I'm not fooling about this. Truly, truly, he who believes in me and the works I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. And that promise was not rooted in human power or wisdom or creativity or skill. It was rooted in verse 16. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, another of the same kind as me, that he may be with you forever. Jesus says to his followers, you're going to do even greater things than you have watched me do in the days that I've been walking the earth. Does this mean that they are Jesus so they're more powerful than Jesus? Absolutely not. But this means that ministry no longer will be centered upon the physical location where Jesus steps his feet on a daily basis. But now it will go viral as the people of Jesus are sent to all of the earth because they are empowered and indwelled by the Holy Spirit who is God to carry out the mission of Jesus to the remotest parts of the earth. You'll do even greater things because you will do my work and carry my mission everywhere to the end of the earth. And it's not for three years. It's until I return again. And so this is why Jesus tells his disciples, don't, don't leave Jerusalem now. Don't go out and try to game plan this and come up with a strategy for growing the church. Don't come up with a, a PR campaign that will make people go, oh, this is a cool thing to be a part of. Don't do that. Sit and wait until the Holy Spirit comes because he brings, when it says power, the word means explosive power. It's the same word from which we get the word dynamite. He has an explosion of power that will be placed within you. And he's the mover. He's the real mover. Your job is just to receive him and to go wherever he leads and let him do his work through you. The unmistakable point that Luke is making is that the Holy Spirit is the one who grows the church. He, he grows the church to those who love Jesus, listen to this, who actively trust the Holy Spirit to move. The Holy Spirit is the one who, it's not our, our growth campaign, it's not our sermon series, it's not a wonderful children's program, it's not a great staff, it's not having life groups organized in just the right ways and having the you know, right mission initiatives on, on 2023 going. It's the Holy Spirit who grows the church through those who love Jesus and who actively trust the Holy Spirit to move. That means you're involved, you're trusting him, and your life is going where the Holy Spirit is going. That's how the church exploded. Patrick told you this last week. He said the same explosive power that was in the apostles is in you today if you're a Christian. We're going to make sure that he's right. So we'll look at 1 Corinthians 6.19. Paul says, Do you not know, Christian, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, that you are, now, you are not your own, you are no longer just yourself, you are not in control, you don't belong to just yourself, you belong to God, and he is there with you. You are the, the temple of the living God, the Holy Spirit, right? That's why, why we find in, in Jesus saying in, in 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you because he isn't coming to hang around you. He's coming to live within you. And now that explosive power will be in your life. The same explosive power that was in the apostles is in you today if you are in Christ. That hasn't changed. Charles Spurgeon asked the question, do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Don't rush through this. Start to answer the question in your head for a second. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Have we such a reliance upon the Holy Spirit? Do we believe that at this moment he can clothe us with power even as he did the apostles at Pentecost? Do we believe under our preaching, and I'm not talking about just on this stage, I mean where you go, where you work, where you live, where you play, where you talk about Jesus on Monday through Saturday. Do we believe that under our preaching by his energy, a thousand might be born in a day? 
Do we believe that? Or are we just bored? <laughs> are we just bored and feeling like, oh, man, I'm waiting for the right moment to say something about Jesus if it ever comes? No, do we believe? He's beating inside of our hearts, desiring that people would know Christ. And we believe that if we would trust in him, he could good and well lead a thousand people to life in a day. A church in the land without the Spirit is rather a curse than a blessing. We're just in the way. Without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are as ships without wind. We are useless. Here's what happens when the Holy Spirit is unleashed in your life. When, when the Holy Spirit, who is God, is trusted, actively trusted in your life, He overcomes all of the barriers. All of the things that hold us back, all of the things that keep us from being who God has called us to be, from doing the things that Jesus has called us to do, he overcomes those barriers. I want you to see it right here in the text. Watch him overcome barriers. He falls upon them when the, on the day of Pentecost. Chapter 2, verse 5 says, devout men from every nation under heaven were gathered. The first thing he does is he overcomes the ethnicity barrier. He overcomes the location barrier. He overcomes the geographical and ethnic barriers that would keep the message from spreading from one small group of people to go out among all of the peoples. If you keep reading, all of these ancient places are named. And if we take those ancient places and we lay them down over a modern map, I want you to see the places these people are coming from. They've come for the day of harvest, for the day of Pentecost, from Iran from Turkey, from North Africa, from Crete, from Rome, from Arabia, from Egypt, from Syria, from all, all different smaller parts of the Middle East, and from Israel. And so the word did not come simply to a, a, a one nation of people, a small group of people who have a certain culture about them. It came to a people who had gathered from all of these places, representing all of these peoples, these cultures, these ethnicities. And they came and they received in the Holy Spirit. They overcame any barrier that would keep the gospel from spreading from place to place throughout the world. Not just ethnicity, but also language was necessary. Chapter 2, verse 8. They said, how is it? How is it that this is happening? We each are hearing them in our own language to which we were born. They come, these few who stand up and begin speaking are speaking about Jesus, and people from all of these places are going, how come I can hear them? Not just, not just a few words in my language when I try to speak like Spanish or French with my daughter's taking French, and I can say like three words, and really it, it kind of boils down to ha, 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 that's my French. <laughs> And I just add it on to whatever I'm saying. I just, yeah, I'd like a hamburger. Ha, ha, ha. I'm speaking French. But they're coming and these people are speaking and they're, they're amazed by it. I mean, you, you've got to imagine even like how hard is it to do an accent when it's not your mother tongue, right? Like they're, they're going, how are they speaking this language just like they came from my region, from my country? Because the Holy Spirit was doing a miracle in their midst and he was overcoming the, the location and the ethnic barriers and he was overcoming the language barriers so the word of Christ could be heard. Not just that, but he was overcoming class barriers. Look at ch chapter 2, verse 7. They were amazed, that those who were hearing, they are astonished saying, why, are these not all who are speaking Gal Galileans? And this is a dig, don't miss this. This is not a compliment, this is a dig at them. Are not all of these like Galileans, people who were uncultured and uneducated, to be a Galilean was to be simple country folk. You were not known to be scholarly. You were not known to be learned. You were just 
You were simple. You were country folk. Are these, are these not all Galileans who are speaking to us? How crazy is this? And again, if we look at this, we see that these people are coming for the day of harvest, for the day of Pentecost, and there are, there are those who are Jews who were born Jewish, and there are Gentiles who either were following some desert god or they were following some other religion or they were agnostic, but at some point they decided to convert to Judaism and they come to Jerusalem and it's not the learned that they're hearing from, it's these simple Galileans who are speaking and, and all of these languages and the words that they have are full of mystery and wisdom and beauty. And here's the big idea. The big idea is, I don't know if you knew this, but the Holy Spirit absolutely loves Jesus. The Holy Spirit absolutely adores Jesus. Tim Keller talks about the, the uh, holy dance, the eternal holy dance of the Trinity, where glorifying love is just for all time being poured out, Father, Son, Spirit, poured out throughout the Trinity. And he said that's the reason God created humanity. It was so good. God didn't need anything, but it was so good and abundant. He said, I wish to create I will create something that can receive the goodness and the glory and the love that comes from within the internal nature of the Trinity. I'll receive, I'll create beings that will receive that love and delight in that love. And that's the reason that we were made. But for all time, Father, Son, and Spirit, glorifying love being poured out. The Holy Spirit absolutely loves Jesus. And the Holy Spirit loves people. And all people are made in the image of God. All people matter to God. The Holy Spirit is God. He is love. So he loves Jesus and he loves people. And because of his love, he wants people to meet Jesus so they can really understand and be transformed by the power of his love. And he overcomes every barrier so that people can come to know Jesus. I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced of this. The Holy Spirit does so because God has chosen to do so by speaking through the lives and the lips of those who already love Jesus and are willing to talk about him. I believe this. And, and I'll tell you, if Christians would follow the lead of the Holy Spirit as much as we follow what's trending and, and what's in fashion, we would see a surge of the movement of God in our day too. We are so quick to follow. We are so quick. We are followers. Even if you're a leader, you're following, you're reading someone's book and you're doing what they say. We are so quick to follow what's trending, what sounds smart according to our moment in time. We're so quick to follow fashions. If we would follow the Holy Spirit near as much as we follow what's trending and what's in fashion, I believe we would see a, an absolutely mind-blowing movement of the Spirit of God in our day because Jesus' purpose, his work was not to remove us from the world. He said, that's not my plan here. My plan is to join you in this world by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, that I would come and be with you. And his aim doesn't cause us to run to the church building because this is the holy and sacred place and this is where we come because this is where God speaks and this is where God moves. So we all should turn to Jesus and run to the church building so we can know what God is like and what God will do. No, his aim pushes us out from this place. He makes us a movement of the church. And the Holy Spirit comes so that we become the holy place. The building isn't sacred. Now we have been made sacred because we're the temple of the living God. And so everywhere we go, we're the people of God carrying the message of God to a world who desperately needs it. That's the aim of Jesus' mission. It requires this, that every Christian, everyone, everywhere, all the time, walk by the Spirit of God. That we walk 
by the Spirit of God, that we actively trust the Spirit of God, that we know the Holy Spirit in our life, that we're talking with Him, we're listening to Him, we're laying our lives and our decisions and our actions and our words upon Him. We're to walk in His path. And we cannot reasonably expect to be the people that God has called us to be, the people that we could be at our fullest potential in Christ. We cannot reasonably expect to do any of the things that he has called us to do, and we will not see signs and wonders and miracles and a surge of the movement of God in our day unless we are willing to be led by the Holy Spirit who is God. Everything else is our effort. Everything else is our idea. Everything else goes out of fashion. It may move for a moment, but like oh, so many viral sensations, it will die just as quickly. The second thing I want us to pay attention to here, uh, the Holy Spirit's the mover, but the people of God got to move with the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit's the mover, but we have to move with him with our lips and our lives. Acts 2, verse 14. But Peter, taking his stand with the 11, normal teaching posture in that day would be to sit down. I love that he took his stand. I think it's, and I'm, I'm adding some meaning here. I think it's representing for us that we're not a people who sit back we're people who step up and we move into the world with this message. Taking his stand at the 11, he raised his voice and he declared to them. And he begins preaching the first Christian message. It's the, the first apostolic interpretation of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he declares that the movement of God is real and the movement of God is here and the movement of God is now. And, and I want you to kind of understand this as a you know, modern sermon we hear these and they have kind of a flow to them. If we were to kind of lay our modern sermon over what Peter's done, the whole Holy Spirit thing that he's been talking about is the introduction. It's the hook. We, that's what we call it in the business. We call it the hook. What am I going to hook you with? He said, there's a miracle happening and you're amazed and you're curious about it. Let me tell you what it is. The Holy Spirit is here and the time is now. Now they're going, okay, okay, I'm listening. The sermon turns on this line. He says in verse 21, and it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's his thesis statement. And then he gets into the body of the sermon, the meat of the text, and it's all about Jesus. Every, every bit of it from here forward, it's just about proof that Jesus is God. He is who he said he is. Everything he did was just a foretaste of everything that he can and will do for those who turn to him. And, and I can't, we don't have time to like get into the details of the sermon. So I'm just pulling up. I'm going to give you the big picture of the sermon. It's four points if it's a modern sermon. First is the works of Jesus. If you want to mark it in your Bible, verse 22 through 24, it talks about the things that Jesus did. The things that he did, they, they prove, they are evidence that he is God. He wasn't just some mystic prophet. He just wasn't some guy, religious guy with some good ideas. He is God himself. His second point of his sermon is how Jesus fulfilled the prophecy of David. You see it in verses 25 through 31 and 34 through 35. He's referencing Psalm 16. He's referencing Psalm 110. He's saying, look, all of these things that, that were said would happen when God himself came to save, they happened in Christ. You need to see it. Third point of his sermon is the personal testimony of his own experience with Jesus being risen, that he did not stay in the grave. He says in verse 32, we are witnesses. He is alive. Remember, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. He spent those 40 days giving many proofs, many proofs that it truly was him and that he was alive, that the grave could not hold our king. And then his fourth point, he comes back and he talks about the Holy Spirit has come. It's evidence, it's proof that everything Jesus said has come true. And that's there in verse 33. But I want you to look at verse 37. This is what I want you to see. Now, when they heard this, 
They were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? In other words, the message got through to them. In other words, they landed the plane. And I love Luke's phrasing here. It's distinct. It's unique. It's not frivolous. It's not poetic. That's not Luke's style. He doesn't write poetry. Luke writes the facts. Luke writes the evidence. He stacks evidence upon evidence so that he can tell a story. He he interviews people and writes down the things that they say. And I love this phrase because it's pointing us to something. He says, they were pierced to the heart. I think he's telling us that these people weren't convinced because Peter was so clever and so powerful and so funny and so dynamic as a preacher. They were pierced to the heart by the sword of the Spirit. Listen to Hebrews 4.12. It says the Word of God is living. The Word of God is active. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. We don't even know the intentions of our heart half the days of our life. Word of God is a piercing, two-edged sword, able to lay open the true condition of our hearts. That's why Paul in Ephesians 6 says, take with you the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And when we come to to verse 37 of Acts 2, there should be no surprise to us at all that that they were pierced or they were were cut to the heart because Peter was preaching and, and it was God's Word that he was preaching. It was Joel 2, it was Psalm 16, it was Psalm 110. He's just, he's just quoting Bible verses over them. And then what he does is he preaches Jesus, whom John says is the very Word of God. It's all about Jesus. He's preaching the Word of God, and the Word of God is a two-edged sword that's able to cut between all of the fluff in our life, all of the fake in our life, and reveal what's really going on in the inner man. And not just this, but according to verse 4, he was filled with the Holy Spirit as he preached, so the Word of God was not Peter's sword, It was the Spirit's sword. If anything today gets through your head and gets through your heart, it's not because it was my sword as a preacher. It's because it's the Spirit's sword. And what the Spirit did on Pentecost was amazing. He chose on that day to cut 3,000 people to the heart, that they would hear, they'd really hear the message of Christ, and it would change them forever. This isn't the only time that Peter experienced this kind of thing. Peter experienced this kind of thing a lot in his days, in his ministry. It wasn't always 3,000 people. Sometimes it was a lot of people. Sometimes it was one person or two people. One of the stories that I love that reminds me so much of how little it has to do with Peter's ability, the great Peter the Apostle. I don't know if you've ever been to the Vatican, but there's this giant statue and there's this foot of Peter and you're supposed to rub the big toe and it's like rubbed raw because everyone who goes through rubs the toe of Peter because he's magnificent and mighty. But there's a story that reminds me how little it has to do with Peter's ability as an apostle and how much it has to do with his dependence upon the Holy Spirit and his willingness just to speak the word of Christ. It's in Acts 10. And we'll get there eventually this year, later in, I think, July, We'll read the story, but it's a moment where Peter begrudgingly goes to the home of a man named Cornelius. Do you know this story? And it's, it's kind of begrudgingly because Peter doesn't really want to go. Peter is in a moment in his life where he doesn't really have interest in sharing the gospel with Gentiles. He doesn't really have any care for them. And Cornelius is a Gentile, but the Holy Spirit's moving. And he gets many signs that the Holy Spirit is moving, and he knows he has to go. So he goes to Cornelius' home, 
And I, I like to imagine the story that when he gets there, and we'll get back to this in July and, and really paint the picture more, but it's almost like he comes in like dragging his feet like a kid and kind of find him here, you know? And then he just lays down the most basic, poor sermon about the gospel of Jesus Christ you've ever heard. It's not like he was like, oh, I got my best one. I'm ready, to, I'm ready to give it to him today. He just comes in and goes, fine. You want to hear about Jesus? And he starts to talk about Jesus. And the beautiful thing in Acts 10, 44 while Peter was still speaking these words, he didn't even come to the conclusion. The organ didn't start to play. It wasn't time for all of that yet. While he's in the middle of speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. In other words, it's another way of saying that on that day, all of these people, in spite of who Peter is or was, because he followed the Holy Spirit and talked about Jesus, these people all came to trust Jesus on that day. And it's given evidence because later that day, all of them committed their lives to Christ through baptism because the Holy Spirit fell upon them in that, that moment. It wasn't Peter's sword. No, it, it wasn't man's sword. It wasn't human power. It wasn't because Peter knew exactly what to say or he was funny or he was clever or he was the best preacher of the day with the most downloads. It wasn't because he went in going, you know, I got a good feeling about this one. Yep. I got a good feeling I can get these people across the line. No, it was because the Holy Spirit said, it's time to go to work. And Peter said, okay, I'll go to work. And he goes and he talks about Jesus. The Holy Spirit was moving. He was led by the Holy Spirit. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. He started talking about Jesus and the sword of the Spirit cut them to the heart. All the people in Cornelius' home and on Pentecost, about 3,000 souls is what we're told. And I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced of this and I believe this. But if we were to get as comfortable sharing the gospel as we are sharing our opinions about everything, we'd see a harvest of souls like never before. If we would get as comfortable talking about Jesus as we are talking about what we think about every little thing that's happening in the world, I think we'd see a harvest of souls, a movement of God like we've never imagined in our day and I, I think about this. Why don't we talk about Jesus more? Why is it an event for us to talk about Jesus? Why do we, why do we steer around the conversation? Why do we get weird about it? Because we, frankly, a lot of us, we get weird about it when it comes to talking about Jesus. I think there's a lot of answers that could be applied to that question. But mostly I think it's because we are way too focused on human ability, on expectations, on, on cultural norms, and it causes in us a fear to grow up in us that mutes our mouths, or it causes us to think, well, I'm just not, I'm not qualified. You know, I'll leave it to someone who's better or is more gifted than I am, and we get, we get weird about it. But I want you to hear this. Not only has Jesus called everyone, everywhere, all the time, who belongs to Jesus Christ to be his witnesses where you work, where you live, where you play to the ends of the earth, but he has empowered every Christian by the giving of the Holy Spirit. He qualifies you. He's able to overcome every barrier. He anoints you to do his purpose. And when he moves through you, he might just pierce someone to the heart in a way that you never would have guessed. He might cut someone to the heart, not because you were good at it, but because the Holy Spirit loves them. Because the Holy Spirit loves Jesus and he wants them to come to Jesus and he just wants you to talk about Jesus. Romans 10 says, 
How then will they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they've not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they're sent? Just as it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. If Christians will follow the lead of the Holy Spirit like we follow the lead of trend and fashion, man, if we would be as comfortable speaking about the gospel of Jesus as we are sharing our opinions on, on everything, whether it's culture, fashion, politics, sports, movies, or whatever, boy, oh boy, a movement of God in our day that would shake us out of complacency that would challenge and destroy the cultural Christianity that maybe we, we found ourselves in at one moment or another. I'll end with this. I'll tell you this. The Spirit of God loves to move in places where people urgently and passionately desire Him to move. Where, like the 120 or so who are gathered, Acts 115, who are pleading and praying and saying, Lord, come for us just like you promised. Empower us because we want to walk in the life that Jesus called us to. That's where the Holy Spirit loves to come. Why did the Holy Spirit fall upon the, the, the people in Cornelius' home? Because Peter got there and the Holy Spirit wanted these people to know Jesus. And Peter just opened his mouth and said, okay, you told me to come here. I'm here. I'm going to talk. I'm going to start talking. The Holy Spirit says, watch me work. The Holy Spirit loves to come where people passionately plead for him to do his work in their lives. So this morning I want to end like this. I just want to end with prayer. And, and where you are, um, it's very hard for you to move from where you are, sitting in a seat in a row in a room, to passionate prayer. I want to encourage you. I'm going to give you some time. I'm going to, I went fast enough. I'm going, to, I'm going to give a few minutes to this. I invite you to move around the room and pray with people in the room and not pray alone. I'd love for you to do that this morning because as a church, we need to cling to each other as we call out to the Lord to work in our lives. I don't want to be bored at the end of 2023 because I've sat in my seat for too long not believing that God would cause a surge in my day. And I want to invite you in to lean into each other and to the work of the Holy Spirit in and through this church in this day. So as, as Patrick and, and Dustin just kind of play for a moment, would you, would you take the next few moments and ask for help from the helper to celebrate his presence, ask him to build confidence where you might have none, to ask him to give you guidance where you don't know where to go and to anoint you to do his purpose. This is your time to pray.